Hello, friends. Welcome to the Business and Beers podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Gugu. The Gugu Sleep Company started with a simple mission help people get better sleep at an affordable price. Better sleep means a healthier and happier you. Sleep is that important. I actually own a Gugu mattress and I can say it's one of the most comfortable beds I've ever slept on. And Gugu is super affordable. Most great mattresses cost way over 100,000 yen, but Gugu prices start at only 70,000 yen. And Gugu is also extremely easy to set up. Listen, it comes in a box, it's delivered free, you open the box, cut the plastic wrap, and whammo, your Gugu mattress is ready to go. It's pretty simple. And now Gugu is offering a special discount for you, the Business and Beers podcast listeners. Just go to gugu.jp, Gugu is spelled G-U-G-U, check out their website, and when you order a mattress, enter BB Japan in the promo code box for your 20% discount. They offer free shipping, a 100-night trial, hassle-free returns, and a 10-year warranty. So, check them out at gugu.jp. Better sleep, better you. This episode, I speak with Dr. David Sweet. David has lived and worked in Japan for over 20 years. He's the author of the best-selling book, Sweet Sales. He's also a licensed executive coach, a serial entrepreneur, and one of the best recruiters in Japan. And like me, he loves to talk sales and drink beers. Please enjoy this very interesting and entertaining conversation with Dr. David Sweet. One of my least favorite Japanese words to hear from a salesperson. And I, I'm sitting down with my, my, my sales guy, or my sales lady, and I said, uh, you haven't made any sales this quarter, what are you going to do? And they say, ganbarimasu. I'm going to ganbaru. I'm like, okay, great, that's, that's a nice, I like that in yeah. your voice, that's super. Yeah. How will you ganbaru? Yeah. Well, do your I'm going to ganbaru, I'm going to do yeah. my best, I'm going to fight, I'm going to... And, and it just it makes me cringe that you, I'm just going to try hard, I'm going to fight, I'm yeah. going to do my... And there's not really a systematic approach as to what that will look like. Gambaru is kind of like a placating word. Yeah, yeah. there's no action behind it. It's, it's, um, it's out of my hands, it's into someone else's hands. So it's a very much a, a, a defeatist mentality in some ways. And I, I, that just, uh, that winds me up. Well, cheers, David. Come on, this is exciting. Yeah, our first beer. Yes. I want to talk about your book here, Sweet Sales. Yes. You gave me a copy yep. of Sweet Sales, and I have it here with me. Sure. Yeah. And I'm glad to hear that you have a second book coming out. Third book. This is your this, second book? This That's actually my first book, and then it was re-released. Okay. And then I wrote a second book called Recruit, and that's for recruiters. Okay. And then the third book coming out is called Sweet Success. But it's your second book of the Sweet series. Yes, we of could the say. Sweet Sales series. There nice. we go. Oh, isn't that alliteration rolls off your tongue? Well, as I said, I love the book. I mean, Thank you. it is really good. I mean, I Thank you. like I said, I read it. I reread it. Uh, you gave it to me two years ago, and I went through it. I was like, yeah, yeah, this is good. Yeah, I like yeah. it. It's interesting. But then uh, researching you for this podcast I of course picked up your book because I want to talk about it again yep. I reread it and I was like damn there is some really good there are a lot of 
pearls of wisdom. Mm, thank you. And it's easy to read. Great examples. I love it. Anyway. Thank you. It's a funny thing because it's been out for, like you said, a couple of years and they, the audio version just came out. So I had to re-listen to it right. for the audio to make sure everything was, uh, all the pronunciation was right and everything. And, and it's interesting. After two, three years, you forget what you've read, yeah. you've written. I was listening to this as a sales book and I thought, oh, this is still relevant, which, which is nice. How many books did you sell? Um, I've sold upwards of 20,000, I think, so far. Wow. And now it's in China. So we'll see. I got a billion more people that could possibly buy it. Was it ever translated into Japanese? It's in the process, so I have someone translating it into Japanese now. Of the 20,000, where were most of your sales? The U.S. In the U.S. So it's okay. North America, and strangely enough, it's hard book, it's hardcover. It's and I've got a signed copy, oh, man. I, I, I can. Uh, we can have to sign it again. I, someone I, else. You're you're someone of, if someone of your listeners says gives you a five star on on wherever they download their podcast, yeah. we'll send them a copy. How's that? Ho ho ho! There you go. Would you please say that again, a little slower? So if someone gives our podcast. What's the name of my podcast? It's Business and Beers Business Japan. Business and Beers Japan. If they give them five stars, wherever they download their podcast, uh, we'll send the first person who does that a, a signed copy. Nice. Isn't that quid pro quo, though? Absolutely. You, you, <laughs> you, buy, it, you buy it. Buy your stars. I haven't bought any of my Amazon stars. So if you want to get five stars on Amazon, you're more than welcome to do it. No, I did check your book on Amazon. Okay, it's five you. stars. Yeah, thank you. You don't have a lot well, of... That's because no. my mom gave me one. Under a pseudonym, my mom gave you me only have, You only have six reviews, though. I know. I, that's because I didn't buy them, yeah. Oh, jeez. Oh, you, didn't, you didn't buy them. No, I didn't. No, they, oh. no I, they're actually people that I don't know, except for my mom and maybe a couple of friends. Wait a minute, There's, you have six reviews, you said a mom and a couple friends, so that's 50%. 50 percent. <laughs> Which I'm surprised, 50%, I don't know. <laughs> that's three people, dude. Come on, give yourself a little more credit than that. Out of 20,000 people, that's not, a, that's not a lot of reviews. I love it, man. I don't have too many questions. That's fine. I, I, want, I, I like it to be a little bit, as you say, uh, listening is one of the okay. most important aspects of sales and interviews and anything. So. Yeah. But we got to get a few things out of the way first. So okay. first of all, in one minute, uh, I'd like you to just talk about who you are, how long you've been in Japan, and what do you do in Japan. Okay. Are we on? Yep. We've been recording it. Yes. Okay. Uh, so, uh, David Sweet. Now uh, what's the question? I didn't know I was on now. Yeah. Oh, now you're nervous. Now I'm nervous. <laughs> so I got stage fright. No. No. Yeah, how long have you been in Japan, and what do you do? So, I've uh, been in Japan 20 years, and I've been... Uh, and a serial entrepreneur started up Focus Core, which is an executive search company. How is doing business in Japan? Very open-ended question. Super easy, I think, compared to doing it in, say, America, in some ways. Why is that? Being a foreigner is a lot easier. It gives you a lot of, um, you lose a lot of inhibitions, I think, and a lot of competition. Yeah. We're, we're in Japan, so it's a lot easier to do it. And then I think you, you take chances that you wouldn't take at home. I find it easier. What? I do too. I agree. Because, of course, there are challenges in this market. But you use your foreignness to your advantage. Yeah. And there's sometimes you go on a sales call or you go on a business meeting and you can sense that your 
customer is maybe uncomfortable yeah. around a foreigner. Yeah. And in that case, I pass it off to my Japanese team to, to lead the meeting. Yeah. Or the flip side, which is probably you're talking about, is, and you speak Japanese, I speak Japanese. Yeah. So if we're in a meeting and we're speaking Japanese, a lot of times our Japanese counterpart, they're more interested in why is this foreigner speaking Japanese? And so you get all the, you know, why are you in Japan? How long have you been here? Why do you speak Japanese? You get a lot of those questions, which is all relationship building. I like how you can go, going into a meeting, I like using English because you can cut through all of the Japanese layers that you have to work worry about in, in Japanese. You can, right. you can ask people about their, their home life, about what they love doing, what they don't like doing. You can ask them out for beers. You can't do that in Japanese on a first meeting with uh, someone that's older than you. That's a good point. Yeah. So I, I know for my Japanese consultants, especially women, yeah. uh, we always go out and try to go out with a foreigner just to speak English and cut down all the barriers the first time. The second time, it's they can do everything in Japanese. It's way easier. Well, in your book, you talk about invisible... Invisible selling. Invisible selling. Yeah. In Japan, there are invisible business rules. Yeah. And yeah. foreigners aren't expected to understand those. Uh -huh. Even though we know most of them, I think, yeah. um, if we break those rules, we're not held responsible for breaking those rules. I went in with uh, one of the salespeople you know, I, she used to work for me. Yeah. And we went in negotiating with uh, an old Japanese HR guy. I went in totally American. I gave him a big, hey, how do you do? Shook, shook his hand as big as I could, and I gave him a meshi with one cart, with one hand. One hand. Ooh, wow, taboo. And sat down, and uh, we had to translate everything. She was translating everything, and then he would translate it back into Japanese, Japanese English, and it slowed down the whole negotiation. But at the end of it, we got to the answer we needed because he's dealing with an American. He figured we're going to be black and white, and there wasn't any go-between. And uh, at the end, I went up to him and I said, uh, And he's like, oh, thank you. It's been really nice. And yeah. he shook my hand. <laughs> he was playing the same game that I was playing. No kidding. Yeah. So he knew exactly how that was. Uh, well, I, I think that international business people or international Japanese business people, they, they appreciate the directness of English. Versus I Japanese. think so. I mean, Japanese is a very vague language yeah. in general, right? Yeah. yeah. But that doesn't mean you haven't had any challenges in Japan, I'm sure. 20 years as a foreigner. What was your biggest challenge that you've had starting out? Yes means maybe, maybe means no, and no means you're not dealing with a Japanese person. That's it. Explain that one more time. Because Japanese people will not tell you no, right? Right. So if they say maybe, that means no, and yes means definitely maybe. So yes means maybe. Maybe means no, and no means you're dealing with someone that's not Japanese. But if you know that, then why is that a challenge? Well, it was to begin with. Oh, didn't so know you about, didn't know I that. didn't okay. know it when I got here. You'd go in and have this great meeting with uh, the hiring manager, and they'd love you. And Then you'd walk away thinking, okay, we've got the contract, they're going to do business with us. Yeah. And then you walk away and give them a call back, and they never talk to you again. <laughs> ghosting before ghosting was popular. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> why did you come to Japan? I was married to a Japanese woman. So I was, I was married and had a couple of kids. 
And I came over on, well, like a lot of people, on the JET program. Because oh, I had okay. a career in Colorado. I'd been doing HR for 10 years. My wife wanted to return to Japan, and I decided I wanted to go back into teaching. Because mm -hmm. that's what I went to, my undergrad was in teaching. Teaching. English. So, but I wanted to teach English perfect, as more of the literature. Um, and so I came over and taught English for a year and decided that was not... I didn't want to teach English as a second language. I wanted to teach more Kokugo. Okay, so you came here and you started as an English teacher then? Yeah, on the JET program. When did you make the transition to recruiting? About two years after that. So that was, what, 18 years ago? Yeah, so 98, yeah, 99. How many companies have you worked for, except for the JET program, just in the recruiting? In Japan. Yeah, how many companies have you worked for? Four. So I worked, my first one was a, um, I was a one-man band. So I was the only person in the Japan office. I had no idea that what recruitment was. They hired me out of California, mm -hmm. and they thought I could basically, they had an IT business on the side. And yeah. So they were just trying to keep the, the office open, and I was thinking that they wanted to make money. And so I was scared for my job, really. And so I'm walking into Goldman Sachs with, handmade uh, brochures and, and credit suites. We had um, two, two uh, temp IT guys that I took care of and I was trying to get more in there and I had no idea what I was doing for six months. That's when I went over to uh, the second company. I got headhunted and they said uh, they would teach me and let me be a manager. So I did that for about seven years as a director. And then um, went back to the US for three years so my kids could learn English started with uh, another company for two years that I'd done a lot of training with. I, when I started a training company in the U.S. that trained recruiters and salespeople. So I trained uh, about five or six companies in, in Tokyo. Trained them in what? Sales. Okay. Sales or how to be a recruiter. Uh, time management, okay. things like that. Yep. So, it's, But it was recruitment specific, so it was very easy to do. And that's, I mean, my second uh, company that I worked for, that's we put together a six-month training program for recruiters. And that's probably what my specialization, I'm probably one of the better recruiting trainers in Tokyo. I am. You say that you are a career coach, but also an executive coach. So I'm certified. I'm a certified executive coach. What's the difference between an executive search and career coach? So, I kind of know, but I want to hear what your uh, definition of that is. For executive coaching, it's a... It's a long, laborious process to get certified. You have to go through 100 hours of classroom training plus 100 hours of uh, actual executive coaching. So dealing with professionals and helping them get value out of what they want to do in the world. I don't do life coaching. It's not feeling good. It's about how do you get to... I like dealing with people that are excellent and helping them get better. That's to my mind, when an executive coach does. So you're a little more Zig Ziglar and not so much Tony Robbins? No, I don't make people feel good, I make them move it up a notch. Oh, nice. For executive search or uh, coaching people to get jobs, yep. that's when people are coming into our office and I'm really working with them to help them improve their, their resume and their interview skills and just to get a job whether it's through me or through any other resource, because most of the time, people aren't going to get a job through a recruiter. It doesn't help business saying that, but it's the truth. How do they get jobs in Japan then? I think most of the time it's through people they know. The nice thing about recruiters is they can know some different jobs, 
They have nice networks and you can sometimes get into those. What's the biggest difference between a great recruiter and a good recruiter? Because I know what a bad recruiter is. I've met a lot of them. <laughs> I've met a lot of them. I've met a lot of good ones and yeah. I've met a few great ones. Yeah, great ones uh, call you back whether they have anything to tell you or not. Someone that's open communication and tells you the truth, high ethics. There's been about 10 really great recruiters I've had the, the opportunity to work with in my career. And, and a lot of them, thankfully, are still recruiting in, in Japan, if not in the world. They're just high energy, positive, low-key people. They're not, they're not you know, out there uh, in your face, car, used car salespeople. So the good ones are just, they're really scared. There's a scarcity mentality. Right? I think that's, and that's the same in sales. Bad salespeople have this scarcity mentality. There's an abundance of, there's so many jobs out there, there's so many clients, there's so much potential to help people. You just explained all the criteria that what you think defines a great recruiter. Yeah. Making placements, generating sales was not even one of the criteria that you just mentioned. They have to be effective, right? You gotta get the outcomes. <laughs> I, uh, I would assume that they do don't, all those. Don't get me in the corner. Of course they got to make money. Making a sale. and I mean, otherwise they, they're not great at any stage. Right. But, but the process, I think you focus on, same in sales, you focus on process, right? And you have to have fun in the process, get to the finish line. It's like in a sporting event. You could be really good at, uh, you know, playing uh, the game. But if you lose every game, it doesn't do you a lot of good. I think it was... Uh Lombardi who said winning isn't the only thing it's no, every, it isn't everything, everything it's, it's the, the only thing, thing. Yeah. right and that's uh, that example that you just used right now I like it because you use a lot of those very easy to understand easy to comprehend examples you use in your book sweet sales we'll get to your book in a second but it's I'm just on the topic now but when you read a, a book about sales or marketing, time management, motivation, whatever it is, a lot of times they do this deep dive and sometimes you just get a little bit lost in it. In your book, you talk in general, you talk specific, and then you give a really easy to, easy to understand example, which kind of hammers at home the point that you're trying to make. So Thank you for that. And, and you do it verbally too, so maybe that's just one of your, your, your styles of communication. It's, it's my education coming out with the training that uh, I've done for 30 years. Getting back to the great versus the good, and, you, and I, I pointed out that placements and sales had nothing to do with it. If you do all those things that you mentioned, the sales part of it comes naturally, or the results part of it comes naturally. It should take care of themselves, right? right? Exactly. But if you're that kind of person, right, where you're doing the whole process and you're not making sales, those type of people will probably find themselves another job and where they are yes. effective and they do have the outcome, right? Exactly. They're just winners somewhere along the line. They'll figure that out. Well, I'm not sure who said it. It was a famous quote. I think it was either Aristotle or it was Homer Simpson who said, <laughs> a salesman minus enthusiasm is just a clerk. <laughs> I love that. That's great. I must definitely steal that one. We are currently at the Oak Door yep. in Beautiful. Grand Hyatt in Ropongi. How do you like this place? I like it. I have not been here that often, but it's always, uh, they have nice food. I like the decorum. Beer's nice. Love hotel bars. Yeah. This is 
an interesting place because I love the atmosphere here yeah. very much, but there's no view. No. Like if you go to yeah. the Conrad, for example, in yeah. Chiodome or the Peninsula. I go to the Peninsula, yeah. Or even the Ritz Carlton. Yeah. They nice have views. beautiful views. Yeah. Beautiful views. This place has no view whatsoever. Yeah. But I, I, I kind of like that because it's it's a little bit cave-like. Yeah. I don't know. I just love the atmosphere yeah. here. And the staff are fantastic. fantastic. Yeah. In fact, they make the only Cuban sandwich that I know in Tokyo. Really? Killer. This place makes Cuban sandwiches yeah. that are very authentic. My, my parents are in Florida, and I love going down there. It's one of the few American foods I eat. Yeah, need we should order food. some Cuban sandwiches. Oh, I love it. Yeah, we'll yeah. have that when we're done here. Because we can't, we can't do a podcast and eat at the same time. That's yeah. kind of gross. <laughs> yeah. Getting back to you and, and your business... I'm curious to know what opportunities are there for foreigners in Japan? I don't mean like laborers that are coming yeah, into Japan yeah, to work yeah. in factories. It says skilled workers. I mean, it's, um, I think any sales job is open, right? Uh, is it? Sale, if they come in and present themselves well, it can be. It depends on the level of Japanese too, right? I, I don't think retail sales, but I'm saying like a B2B sales, yeah. where it's not, you're not doing wholesale. That's pure Japanese, right? But if you're doing a B2B sales, there's no reason you can't do that in, in Japan at all. I mean, everybody says it's like um, financial services and recruiters and, that's, and English teachers. That's the only career path for you. Right. But I think I've met so many salespeople in other industries. It's, it's amazing, right? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm one of those stories. My career through Japan is... And when I was young and I was a student, I first came to Japan when I was 18, 19, year, 18, 19 years old. Yes, I taught English, but as a professional, after I graduated, I was a buyer for a department store, yeah. Japanese company. I worked in sales for a publishing yeah. company, a travel publishing company, which was Japanese. I then worked for a startup, which was a recruit advertising yeah. company and then all the other companies until I am now were, are all uh, did you uh, speak foreign. Japanese at that level yes I did that helps right That's, yeah but I mean if you have even with just like N2 N3 I, nowadays I still think you can get a, a job I think a lot of times it's uh, the gumption to go get up and go is even more important than Japanese and I want to ask you a couple of questions about your business and if any of it's proprietary just say yeah, it's or proprietary. Confi confidential yeah. or whatever just say I can't answer, but I can't answer. No. <laughs> what like percentage of the placements that you make are foreigners yeah. versus Japanese? So now you, you can be super vague. Yeah, you. but nowadays it's probably ten to fifteen percent, which is the most. It's twenty years ago when I started out, and if you're a foreigner, I would just walk away from you. But nowadays, um, like for FPNA or procurement. I mean, you can be a foreigner in any nationality. Um, a lot of Chinese, it's really easy because they have the kanji already, so the language right. is going to come soon. But um, in both of those, I see a lot of foreigners. Okay. You said 15 percent, yeah. roughly. So of that group of yeah. foreigners, what percentage is kind of like entry level, middle management, upper management? That's a good question. Um, I'd say for us, 80% is mid-management. I mean, you'll, 
You always get the senior people that are moving, right? When you say mid-management, what's the salary level for a mid-management person? So you're talking 8 to 12, okay. 13 million yen. Okay. So yeah. you can yeah. always get, you know, CEOs or CEOs that are quasi-sales directors. Those, those people are, there's always those jobs, right? Right. Um, but they're managing like two people. But I'm talking about if you're in a corporation and you're, you're doing a, a proper job in a, in a big corporation, yeah, why not? Now, next question about that is, of those 80% yeah. of, I'm, I'm, I'm reducing yeah. this to the ridiculous, I'm yeah. drilling down here. Yeah. This 80% of mid-management people, yeah. of the companies that you place them with, what percentage is Japanese companies versus foreign Geishgate? That's a great company. companies. question. 50-50? Um, really? And we don't work with that many Japanese companies. But I think, well, like if I'm working with Nissan, for example, Nissan hires a heck of a lot of foreigners, mm -hmm. so at every level. But if you get into companies like Adidas, for example, there's a lot of foreigners in there. Uh, Nike, yeah. uh, these big foreign corporations, there's no reason they can't get in it. I have a confession to make. I also, in my seven years, almost eight years now of working at Zwilling, yeah. you know, I've interviewed a lot of people. Yeah. For the most part, shied away from foreigners. Yeah, sure. Why do you say yeah, sure? It's just a prejudice. It's so easy. It's like we we're in Japan. We need someone Japanese. You need. We we think we need someone that only does Japanese. But is that not hypocritical? Oh, of it's me? it's huge. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, we placed a foreigner with you. You did. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's. I, I, one of my clients is a, a consumer goods, a big American consumer goods company, and they send they send me over for the head of marketing. So this is a Fortune 500 company. Sent over the head of marketing for this company, and she was 27 years old, American, with no yeah. You look at me like that. 27 year old American woman who just got stuff done. I mean, it was a bowl in a china shop sometimes, I'm sure. But a lot of what she needed to do just needed to be sped up. She had the dynamics. Was she hired locally? No, she was hired. She'd been in the company overseas. She was uh, oh, okay. out of China. She was a and, transfer. Yep. They wooed her to come over, actually, because they, had, they could not find... I mean, you and I have talked about marketing people for ages. Yeah. They couldn't find a marketing person. One of the marketing person that, that like, crashed and burned went to one of your competitors. They brought her over and it was... Magic. It was magic and she stayed for a year and then, then they could bring someone else in. The people that worked with her learned a lot and they learned how things were done internationally. What mistake do you often see foreigners make when they're wanting to change jobs or looking for a job when they're in the whole career change process? What are some common mistakes? Oh, God, sorry, there's, there's three mistakes that most people make. One, they don't research the company. And I think Gaijin... Big one. Gaijin specifically have an opportunity to go in and say, I know about the company and I can really work with that. I think a lot of people don't understand this is not foreigner specific, people don't realize that they're hired for one of two reasons. They're hired either to make money or save money, or a combination of either of those things. And so you need to go in and think to yourself, am I going to, how can I make the company money, or how can I save it money? If you're in sales, 
or you're marketing, you're there to make money. If you're in supply chain or if you're in accounting, you're going to make better processes and save them money. That's it. A lot of people, when they're out interviewing, period, don't think about that. I think a foreigner thing that's uh, specific is they try to be too Japanese. That's I, a good point. I think people yes. should go in and be themselves and say, this is who I am and not be... I think people want jobs, in general, people want jobs too badly. And they be who the interviewer wants instead of themselves. And they, they just over overplay the Japanese card and they're like... You're not going to ever be Japanese. Don't do that. Go in and be yourself. And you're not expected to be. You're not expected to be. They interview. They know you're not Japanese. Probably. What's an example of trying to be too Japanese? Simple thing: bowing too low, <laughs> screwing up keigo. Um, but say, I think say, screw, screwing up keigo. Screwing you're up polite, honorific Japanese. Japanese. Yes. But I think just people get too tight. It's the real thing is I think just people get nervous trying to be too Japanese. Yeah. They, because they, rightly, like we said, Japanese people tend to be a bit more reserved, a bit more quiet, and so you don't want to be, over, as we Americans, we don't want to be overly American. But you don't need to dial it back to the Japanese level, right? People want you in there because you're a foreigner. Getting back to your, your book, Chapter two is called Invisible Selling. Yeah. I really liked that chapter. That was originally the name of the book. So you nailed it. Tell me about Invisible Selling. Uh, it's all the sales things that salespeople do or not do without using their voice. It's mannerisms, it's body language, it's questioning, it's listening. All of the soft skills. Attitudes. Yeah. You also wrote in there about appearance. Yep. Not very popular now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Losing the tie is yep. very popular now. Here in Japan, we have cool biz. Yep. And I've noticed that cool biz tends, it used to be just the, like August. Now it kind of like October. bleeds into October. October yeah. yeah. So cool biz is kind of almost becoming year round. Yep. So is that changing? In the sales scene, do you, can you kind of loosen up, lighten up a little bit, or do you still need to wear that tie and that dark suit? So, I like uh, Jeffrey Fox's idea that you're going to be the best dressed person you'll meet today. So, if you're doing if you're doing sales, you should look the part with the people you're working with, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, I use the example of like, if you look at a butcher, you want him in an apron, a bloody apron. If you're looking at a police officer, you want him in a uniform. If you're looking at a judge in the court, you well, you probably did something wrong, and, <laughs> but you want them in, a, in, a, in the proper attire. So same with sales, right? You want you want your salesperson to look good. It's like um, I was thinking about financial advisors. They they have to walk a tight rope. Right? That was another good example I, in your I book. Yes, I want them to look good, but not too good, right? You want it, them to have a nice watch too. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. But but not too flashy because then I feel like I'm paying them too much. Yeah. I want to pay them enough and, and if their watch is more than my uh, yearly income for two years then yeah, not, not a good sign. It's okay to be overdressed yeah. because you can always take your tie off. Yeah. But it's terrible to be underdressed. If you show up in a suit and tie and everybody's in polo shirts yeah. you can always lose your jacket and lose your tie. And but if you show up in polo shirt and and uh, no jacket, and everyone's in in a, in a suit and tie. You're uncomfortable, buddy. Yeah. 
But you act different too, right? If you're in a polo and khakis, that's fine. Especially if you're selling to IT people and they're in polos and khakis. Mm -hmm. um, but I recommend you have a jacket on just to give it one step up. I have a funny example about that. I was, again, back to the, the travel industry sales mm -hmm. job that I had. I went down to Australia one time, traveling from Cairns yeah. to Gorgeous Port Douglas. And everywhere in between. It was my first trip to Austin. No, I think my first trip was to Sydney. In Sydney, uh, I did wear a suit and a tie, and it, it, it was not a problem. It worked out well. And my next trip, I did the northern part. I went to Cairns and Port Douglas, which is a bit of a tropical resort area. And again, I had my suit. I had my tie. It was hot. And I remember I went to my first meeting. I met the general manager of a resort hotel, and he was wearing an Aloha shirt. Yeah, yeah. He's like, you know, you can take your jacket off if you want. Yeah. I was probably sweating. I was uncomfortable. I'm sure the meeting didn't go very well. I was. I started in Cairns, and I worked my way up to Port Douglas. And I went to the second place. The guy was in a polo shirt. And I, again, I was in my suit and yeah. necktie. I was like, man, this is, this is not working out. So then I drove up to Port Douglas. Yeah. And be, I was a little bit early before my next meeting. Good yeah. man, good yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. Be on time. And that way, and then you can relax, cool off. Yeah. In your and suit. Yeah. So I went into the shopping mall that was there. They had a little shopping mall there, and they had a polo shop. Yeah. And I went in and I bought a white polo shirt. Yeah. I went into the restroom. I took off my jacket. I took off my shirt, my undershirt. I put on my polo shirt. Oh my God! It felt so good. <laughs> it felt so nice. And then I go to my next meeting. The general manager is. In a suit. No, no. Uh, that, that would have made the, that would have been good. That would have made uh, it funny. No, he, but he, again, he was in a very, very, very casual, and I, I felt much better, and yeah. it was more appropriate. And, I did the same thing yeah. when I was in Florida, because I I lived in Japan doing sales for seven, eight years. Yeah. And when I went to Florida, everybody's in polo and khakis. They're going out and playing golf at four thirty in the afternoon, and I I was in my suits. Oh man. Chapter three. Uh oh. Listening. I'm glad that you dedicated a whole chapter to listening because I think that listening is the single most important aspect of the of being a salesperson or the entire sales process. Yes, and I'm going to just put it into recruitment because in recruitment, one of the things that I do is I just sit there and I listen to people's stories and I listen and I listen and I listen and I'll ask more questions. And I don't guide people, I don't do anything until I understand where they're at in their life and what they're doing. Because we're dealing with people that have families and children and, and they're worried about retirement, they're worried about college and they're worried college fund for their kids. And, and it's big decisions that people are making when they're changing jobs. And it's, it's super high pressure for these people. Ask questions about where they want to go and they don't have time to sit and think through their own career and that builds rapport one and of course people like doing business with people like that and I think that's in sales the same way as if you go in and if I'm a young 27 year old sales person and I'm going in and telling a CFO how to buy this CRM system and I'm telling the CFO what to do they're going to kick me out of their office. I sure. need to sit in there and ask questions and understand. When I started in recruitment, my second job, I had a mad Scotsman for a boss in Hong Kong, David Moffat, crazy man. And I remember, I'm going to edit it, this, edit out the language, but 
I remember my first couple of months of recruitment, and I was like, I don't understand what my candidates are doing. They're doing financial services, and they're doing front office stuff, and they're talking about equities and reverse floaters and derivatives, and I just don't understand it. And he said to me, you're an effing liar. He just yelled at me on the phone like that. I said, what do you mean? I've been meeting seven people. I said, that's what I said, you're a liar. If you were sitting there and listening to seven to 10 people a week, what they do, and you ask them questions, you'll know what they do, and you'll learn what they do. So ask them questions. So that was where I learned a lot about the sales process and that. I think a lot of people, they don't listen to understand, they listen to answer. What I do in sales training, and what I tell my salespeople, is that every single buyer has three criteria that's going to make them buy. Price, quality, delivery, or availability. And those three criteria, price, quality, and delivery, or availability, however you want to phrase it, there's a hierarchy to all three of those. It's your job as a salesperson to find out what's most important to that buyer. Is it price? Is it quality? Or is it delivery? Worst case scenario, ask Mr. Buyer, what's your priority? Is it price, is it quality, or delivery? And of course, in that case, every buyer says all of them. All of them. But the funny thing about that is, is that you throw it back at them is nothing exists in this world that has the best price, or has the cheapest price, and the best quality, and is available now. So if you want quality, but you want uh, you want it fast, so for you, delivery or availability is yeah. most important. So you want a Ferrari, but only black is available right now, but you wanted a red one, you'll take a black if that's if that's your priority. Or, or you can give them a red Volvo. It doesn't matter, you can say Volvo, it doesn't really matter no, what it is, kidding. but then you get into quality and price. Yep. A lot of times people say, oh, that's expensive, and I say, compared to what? Awesome you know? question, right? It's exactly. a killer question. When I make a sales call, yeah. I like to start with the price. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not all the time. I mean, I, I kind of yeah. read the air a little bit, read the room. Most of the time you say, yeah, this is our best product, good quality, I recommend it, this is the price. Oh, that's expensive. Yeah. A lot of bad salespeople will try to pitch all the benefits of the product first. Oh, it's high quality, it's a great design, etc., etc. But the whole time the buyer is thinking, yes, but how much? Yes, but how much? Because every competitor that comes in, everybody talks about the technical aspects of their product or their service. And it's always the same. People buy for emotion, not for logic. You know that, of course. So start with the price. If they go, oh, that's expensive, you could say, well, yeah, uh, compared to what? Yeah. You know, we sell we sell knives. That's yeah. that's our main product. Yeah. And a lot of times when we have our, our store manager meetings, I always quiz them and yeah, yeah, always, yeah. you know, help them out with selling, etc. A lot of times I ask them, give me four reasons why somebody should buy a $300 knife versus a $30 knife. Because we sell both. Yeah. We sell $30 knives and we sell $300 knives. Yeah. You know, and they always come up with, oh, good quality, or has a, it retains a very sharp edge for a long time, yeah, or yeah. you don't have to sharpen it as much, brand uh, recognition and quality yeah. and stuff like that, nice design, uh, which is nice, 
but the competitors pretty much says the, same the same thing. thing. Right, yeah, yeah. And so they always they can always name the first three, which are usually technical yeah. uh, aspects. But, but they always get caught in the fourth one, usually. Not anymore, because I've, yeah. I've said it so many times. <laughs> but the fourth one is, your grandchildren will receive it for free. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's a beautiful line. Gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, gorgeous. that reduces gorgeous. it to the ridiculous. Yeah. Yes, it's yeah, expensive. Yeah. It's $300. Yeah, yeah. But over three generations uh, is, and all the attachment that comes with that, uh, you know, your memories of hanging out in the kitchen with mom and cooking your favorite is it, dish. Is it really expensive? The memories, Brilliant. your grandchildren. Yeah. You don't even have children yet. And I'm talking about your grandchildren, you know. That's brilliant. So you, you kind of do that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. the emotional aspect. We yeah. really got off on a tangent there. That's good. I, but that I, is good. It's one of the things I, I always, I we go in and uh, they always nail us on uh, for recruitment. How much? What? What's your price? First thing. Well, what's your commission I, mean, right? What's your commission? Yeah. And I say, I usually say, I have no idea. I don't even know if I'm going to work with you yet. Usually, it's thirty-five percent going right in Tokyo but I don't know what your project is let's talk about that first exactly because I don't mind telling people the price that's not an issue mm -hmm. price, I mean it is what it is right um, yes we're, we're on our third beer what, do you, what what other beers do you have Salem is one of the most knowledgeable guys wonderful guys here at the Oak Door so you make that face when I give you a compliment some people uh, don't know how to take a compliment. And a lot of times they'll say, oh, you speak great English, or oh, you're so oh, smart, no, or, you're, no, so, no, so, no. you're so handsome. Oh, no, 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 no. Which is actually kind of an insult to the person giving the compliment. Why is it an insult? Because I've complimented you, and if you say, no, no, I'm not smart, or I don't know my menu, or I don't know how to make recommendations, then it makes me feel like, oh, maybe I'm just trying to give you fake platitudes or something like that. But, so here's what you say. When anybody says, gives you a great compliment, you say, thank you. No, oh. close, that's half of it. You say, thank you for that compliment. Oh, I like thank it. You, because it doesn't acknowledge yeah, yeah. that you agree to yeah, it. That's good. It acknowledges the person for it. Salem here, he is the best guy to ask about drink recommendations because he is so smart. Thank you for the compliment. Yeah, oh. thank you, man. There you go. Thank you for the compliment. Yeah, so it was good. We oh. had we had a um, we had a, we had the wabi sabi, and then we had the goose ideas. Yeah, and we liked them both. So, do you have any recommendations based on what we've already had? that's in that same genre. The thing is, I don't think they have any other IPAs. <laughs> oh, no, they do. They do. Are you sure? Yeah. We do. Yeah, we'll take that one. Just selling people how to sell. We should, we should charge money for this. <laughs> I, think, I think you do. <laughs> oh, yeah, never mind. And that, my friends, wraps up the first part of my discussion with Dr. David Sweet. I say the first part because our conversation lasted for over two hours. Pretty amazing. However, two hours is probably a little too long to be listening to a podcast, so I have split our conversation into two parts. The second part will be coming up in a future episode of the Business and Beers podcast, so look forward to that. I'd like to thank you all again for listening. This is Andrew Hankinson, and until the next episode, I am wishing you great business and delicious beers. Thanks, everyone.